Our scripture today is from Psalm 33, verses 1 through 12. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make music to him with the ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song to him. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen to be his own possessions. When kids are young, they are pretty much machines that constantly churn out questions, probably because they're trying to figure out this mad thing called the world. And one of the main questions they ask, maybe you've noticed, is why? And why is a healthy question, because if your kid is asking why, it's one of the signs that they're growing and maturing well. But sometimes, on occasion, every now and again, let's say, the question why can get annoying. Okay, so I want you to picture this scene. There's a dad and his son, and the son's name is Walker, and he's called Walker because this is one of the most uh, popular names uh, for a young lad at the moment in 2023. Okay, so this is my, my, uh, my best Canadian accent. Okay, little Walker. Walker, it's time to get on your coat. Why? Because we need to take you to playgroup. Why? Because that's what we do most mornings. Why? Because mummy and daddy have to go to work. Why? Because we have jobs. Why? Because we need to make money. Why? So that you can go to playgroup. Why? And there comes a point, it may come sooner, it may come later, but for sure it will eventually come when the parent answers the question why with these immortal words, because I said so. And I can see that some of you have said those words multiple times, because I said so. In other words, the parent is saying, I am done explaining. You're sat in church right now. Do you ever wonder why we do what we do on a Sunday morning? Why we gather and sing songs to an invisible being that many believe does not even exist? Maybe you've had to wake up earlier than you would like to on the weekend, or maybe you've spent hours, it seems like, trying to pile reluctant kids into the car. And so you deserve to ask the question, why? Why do we do what we do? Why do we worship? Why do we even bother? Especially when staying at home, as we found out during COVID, in your PJs would be a whole lot easier. And as we come to God with this question, why, why worship you? God does not turn around with a look of exasperation and say, well, because I said so. In fact, he's 
actually divinely inspired, a whole psalm, in fact, a whole book called the Bible. But here, he's inspired a whole psalm to answer our question, why do we worship? And this morning, we're going to find out what God's answer is. We're in week two of the post-Pentecost season in year A of the Revised Common Lectionary. We've uh, had Ascension Sunday, then Pentecost Sunday. Last Sunday was Trinity Sunday. And Wendy did an amazing job teaching us how we are created to create. And now we're in week two after Pentecost. Our psalm this morning gives a couple of reasons why we are to worship God. And what kind of response we might expect. But because of the way that the psalm is laid out, we're not going to read it from start to finish. The psalmist actually gives the response first and then the reason. Kind of like an Old Testament version of Jeopardy. The fact is given first and then follows the answer in the form of a question. So let's skip verses 1, 2, and 3 and jump to verse 4 and have a look at the first reason why we are to worship, why we do what we do on a Sunday morning. Psalm 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right and all his work is trustworthy. He loves just righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. What do we learn here? We, well, we learn some key attributes of God. First, that his word is right. We can trust his word. We can trust his character, his reputation. When all around is shifting and changing, we can retreat to his word, to his spoken word, to his written word, because it is right, because it is just, because it is plumb. You can use it as a reference to measure the rest of life by. And his work is trustworthy. His word is right and his work is trustworthy. What God does is worthy of our trust. God's actions are faithful, meaning that we can place our full confidence in them. So why isn't everything perfect? Why is there sin and suffering? Maybe you've asked this question. If God's word and work is right and true, then why is there pain and suffering? And, you know, the pain that I've witnessed even in our own congregation over these past two weeks forces me to ask the question, why? If God rules everything, and if God made everything, then why is there suffering and pain? Why did three trains in India crash recently, killing nearly 300 people? Why are there wildfires in Western Canada and in Quebec? I don't know about you, but when I woke up on Tuesday morning this week, it felt like an end-of-the-world movie with the orange sky and the blood-red sun. It was pretty spooky. And then this, and this orange sky uh, stood out as a sign that everything's not okay. Something is wrong. Why did I do one funeral yesterday and I'm doing another funeral on Wednesday? On Wednesday? Why is there death and disease and pain and hurt? Now, this is something that we all wrestle with, and it's something that people have, frankly, tried to understand probably for as long as humans have been around. In fact, the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, is all about the issue of suffering. There are many books written on the subject, many YouTube videos, many debates, many resources for you to read. And this morning, I don't have that much time that I can really get into depth that much, but neither do I want to ignore it. So perhaps I can say this, that the... The price of a world in which people are free to love or reject God is that there is suffering. 
Friends, God is not the only actor in the world. He's not the only mover and shaker. The Bible is clear that there are other forces at work, that there are malevolent forces with strong intellects and centuries of accrued knowledge and wisdom who are working against us. In fact, personally, over this past week, as a family and as staff, we've experienced some of that spiritual warfare. And yeah, it's been surprising, and it's also been rather tiring. It's also been a reminder that God is not the only one who is at work. St. John of the Cross explains that there are three enemies of the soul that we are fighting against. All the evils to which the soul is subject proceed from the three enemies already mentioned, already mentioned, the world, the devil, and the flesh. If we can hide ourselves from these, fat chance, then we shall have no combats to fight. The world, the devil, the flesh. Three massive forces or, or um, your personalities who are fighting against God's rule in this world. But in spite of these working against God's kingdom purposes, we know that God's work is trustworthy. We can see that in the Bible. We can see that on the cross and we can see it in our own lives. The word of the Lord is right and the work of the Lord is trustworthy. We need to hear these words spoken audibly. In fact, say it to yourself now. The word of the Lord is right. Say it to your neighbor. The word of the Lord is right. The work of the Lord is trustworthy. We need to hear these spoken so that we can hear them. Because one of Satan's ploys is to convince us that God's word is wrong or or incorrect or insufficient and that God's work is questionable or maybe concerning. And of course, Satan would love us to believe that because he's the one who is so often at work causing misery in our lives. And if he can have us all convinced that God is to blame, then all the better. Verse 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The, The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. God loves righteousness. God loves justice. And the earth is full of his unfailing love, also known as his covenant loyalty, his hesed. In fact, David uses the same word hesed, unfailing love, in Psalm 23, verse 6. Only goodness and faithful love, or hesed, will pursue me all the days of my life. So God's covenant loyalty, God's unfailing love is everywhere, and his unfailing love is also pursuing me, you, us. I regularly pray a prayer called St. Patrick's Breastplate using my prayer beads, which I have right here. And it's like a shot of spiritual endorphins straight into my soul. And part of the prayer goes like this. Christ be with me. Christ within me. Christ behind me. Christ before me. Christ beside me. Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. This unfailing love pursues us and surrounds us as the Holy Spirit wraps us in the presence of Christ. And we access this truth, this reality through reading his word and through seeing his work 
So in spite of all that's going on, despite the world, the flesh, and the devil doing their best to discourage us and undermine our confidence in God, we can trust in God's word and work in governing this world with righteousness and justice and unfailing love. So, why do we worship? Because of God's word and work in governing our universe. And what is our response to this amazing truth? Verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make music to him with a ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song to him. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. Our response is that we sing, we rejoice, we put our theology into practice, we give voice to the things that we believe. If Satan can stop us from singing, then he has struck a powerful blow against our spiritual well-being. He who sings prays twice, says St. Augustine. He who sings prays twice. And over the past little while, over the past few months, I've been a lot more intentional in singing when I'm alone. I sing the Psalms in the Book of Common Prayer. And as I sing these Psalms, I am lifted. My mind is renewed. I remember. Because I choose to respond to God's governing word and work by singing, by praising, by rejoicing. He or she who sings prays twice. Might it be that one of the reasons you're struggling with encouragement is because you're not singing enough? Moving on. Verse 9 is our second reason for worshipping God. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. Again, here's that foreword, for, talking about causality, reason. And verse 9 tells us that we worship God for his word and work in creation. You see in this verse how, how the words um, or how the word and the work are combined, just like they were in verse 4. In fact, here we see that God's word is his work. God, as creator, speaks, and as he speaks, things come to life. That's the work. And what's true for the cosmos is also true for our salvation. Charles Wesley made this point when he wrote this line from his hymn, He speaks, and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. God is speaking. God is speaking. God is speaking. God has never stopped speaking. God is speaking his kingdom into being. God is speaking a new order into being. God is speaking hope into being. God is speaking life into being. God is speaking transformation into being. God is speaking holiness into being. God is speaking his will into being. The question is, are you listening? Or are you listening to those things that bring death and sadness and loneliness? Are you leaning into your moroseness and a view of the world that paints God as not there or untrustworthy or incompetent or questionable? Are you listening to the voice of our triple enemy, the world, the flesh and the devil? Or are you listening to verse 9 of Psalm 33? He spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. And this brings us to our second response. 
The first response to God's word and work, or the first response is God's, or to God's word and work in governing this world was more personal. It was to sing and praise and worship God with our voices. But the second response takes that personal response and magnifies it to all of creation. Verse 6, listen. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Verse 6 talks about the heavens or the skies. Wendy talked last week about sailing on the Logos Hope and the dome of stars over the ship like she's never seen before or since. That's there because of God. The waters and the depths of the waters, verse 7, those are there because of God. While studying geology at the University of Wales, I learned about a thing called a sverdrup. And one sverdrup is one million cubic meters per second of liquid. And this one million cubic meters per second, or one sverdrup, is five times the volume of the entire Amazon River. So a sverdrup is a unit of measurement that is so big, it uses the Amazon River as its rule of thumb. Well, I'm not exactly sure how big it is, but that's about five times the volume of the Amazon River, you know, give or take. So perhaps you're wondering, what on earth is so big that it requires the volume of the Amazon River to give a rough approximation to its size? Well, the answer is this. It's the volumetric rate of transport of oceanic currents, also known as the ocean conveyor. When you look at the ocean, it's not static. It's not sitting there. It's constantly moving both around and around and up and down. So you've got cold water that's sinking and you've got warm water that's rising. You've got the more salty saline water that's sinking and the less salty water that's rising. And this movement, this, this, this fluctuation, it powers the water molecules in the ocean so that the entire ocean responds like a global 3D conveyor belt system, driving the water around. That's why messages in bottles work, because of the ocean currents, because of the ocean conveyor. And it is this system that's measured in sverdrups. Now, remember that one sverdrup is five Amazon rivers in volume, okay? Well, thinking about that, that one sverdrup is five Amazon rivers, listen to this. The water transport in the Gulf Stream gradually increases from 30 sverdrups in the Florida current to a maximum of 150 sverdrups south of Newfoundland at 55 degrees west longitude. Friends, that's 750 Amazon rivers flowing past Newfoundland. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because verse 7 of Psalm 33 says, He gathers the water of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Our God created the oceanic current system that requires a measurement system as absurdly massive as the sverdrup. And when you grasp that, when you grasp the magnitude and the power of the ocean currents that can only be measured by the world's longest river system, verse 8 
maybe is an appropriate response. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. God's word and God's work oversees or governs all of creation. And God's word and God's work created the world. He brought something out of nothing, ex nihilo. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, Genesis 1-3. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the water, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water from under the expanse, from the water above the expanse, and it was so, Genesis 1-6-7. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so, Genesis 1-9. And so it continues. Let there be vegetation, and it was so. Let there be the sun and the moon, and it was so. Let there be herds and animals, land creatures and sea creatures, and it was so. Let's make male and female, and it was so. Wendy covered this last week. She also made the point that being made in God's image means that we have a creation mandate ourselves, a desire and a drive to create. So whether it's art or music or organizing the kitchen or rebuilding a classic car or writing a lesson plan for school or creating a garden or even building an entire boat like Jerry did years ago, this is all about us exploring and expressing our creative connection with God. We were created to create. That's what we learned in the last week and this morning we learned that we're created to worship, created to create and created to worship. And we've looked at two good reasons this morning to worship God. Reason one is because um, God, God's word and work in governing the world. And reason two for us is because of his word and work in creation. He rules everything and he made everything. Let's worship him. And the last reason to worship God is that one day he will make everything right. Near the end of the Lord of the Rings, Uh, the return of the king. The ring has finally fallen into the crack of doom in the hands of Gollum after he bit Frodo's finger off, thereby ending the quest. Frodo and Sam are are rescued as as Gwaihir and Landreval and Meneldor, the uh, great eagles of the north, sweep in and they take Sam and Frodo from the mountainside of Mount Doom in Mordor. Then we read these words. So so, uh, I think it's the next morning and we read these words. When Sam awoke, he found that he was lying on some soft bed, but over him gently swayed wide beechen boughs, and through their young leaves sunlight glimmered green and gold. All the air was full of a sweet mingled scent. It's a beautiful moment of relief and peace after unbelievable hardship and suffering. And in the confusion of waking up, Sam thinks that perhaps the whole quest was a dream. But then he sees Frodo's missing finger and everything rushes back into his mind. Seconds later, Gandalf shows up. And what happens next, I, I want to read to you. I want you to hear it. This is Sam speaking. Samwise Gamgee, the faithful hobbit friend of Frodo, the ring bearer. Sam's words. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought, that I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf, 
And then he laughed and the laugh was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. But he himself burst into tears. Then as a sweet rain that will pass down a wind of spring and the sun will shine out the clearer, his tears ceased and his laughter welled up and laughing he sprang from his bed. How do I feel? He cried. Well, I don't know how to say it. I feel, I feel. He waved his arms in the air. I feel like spring after winter and the sun on the leaves and like trumpets and harps and all the songs I've ever heard. This is our hope. In Sam's words that everything sad is going to come untrue. But we're not there yet. We're still in Mordor. We still have the ring. We are still fighting the world and the flesh and the devil. We still have a world to preach the gospel to. There are still souls to save. Our pilgrimage is not yet over. One day we will feel like Sam waking up in the land of Athelion, like spring after winter, sun on the leaves, trumpets and harps, but not yet. And it can sometimes feel like it would be easier to give up. Sometimes it would be tempting to give in to hopelessness or apathy or lethargy. But friends, even while we're here on earth, God is still moving like a massive oceanic current that cannot be measured in sverdrops. He's still subverting even the plans of the leaders of nations for his purposes. Verse 10. The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen to be his own possession. And so I think it's, it's fitting for us to close off this morning with a reminder that not only do we worship God because of his word and work in governing the universe or because of his word and work in creation, but we also worship him because he's actively frustrating and thwarting and sabotaging the active will of the world, the flesh and the devil. In his sovereign wisdom and power, he's coming against the structures of evil that exist in this free world that he's created. Friends, God hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't thrown us to the wolves. He's with us. He's still the creator. He's still the king. And he's still the great saboteur of the plans of the enemy. God never tells us to worship him just because. He always gives us good reasons. Reasons are plenty. Creation, nature, the cross, new life, his kingdom coming. So many reasons to worship him. And we're also free to come to him with the big question, why? God will never be tired of your question, why? He never gets weary of you seeking answers and coming to him with your questions. This is why he gave us his word, the word of God to feed us and to resource us on our journey until that moment when everything sad finally and forever comes untrue. And in the meantime, we worship.